Welcome to this episode of the Atlanta Career Journey Podcast. Today's guest is Angela Nation, who is Chief Executive Officer at Silver Hammer Systems. I first met Angela when she was an executive in the talent acquisition industry and always found her to be smart, dedicated, hardworking, and very customer focused. Her career in the recruiting and technology community eventually led to launching her current cybersecurity firm. I've been looking forward to hearing more about her journey. So welcome to the podcast, Angela. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Yeah, it's, I know it was it was tough getting this scheduled, and you've had some uh, some weather situations in your area over the last month or two. So I'm glad we could finally make it work today. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, let's get started. Tell me a little bit about your background. Where'd you grow up? So I'm actually from a very tiny place called Cairo, Georgia. It's spelt like Cairo, Egypt, but uh, it is technically. I usually tell people Tallahassee, Florida, um, because it's uh, on the border of Florida. Uh, So very, very, uh, not a lot of people leave the town. So uh, this, you know, Atlanta was a very, very big move move for me, but grew up in a small town and um, knew that I wanted to do bigger and better things, thought I was going to be a lawyer. So then I, I headed out to uh, Georgia Southern University and kind well, of proud. Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, hold on there. Because, well, one, I know where Cairo is because I have family that lives in, um, in uh, Bainbridge. And oh, so. Oh, no. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> I did joint enrollment at Bainbridge Junior College. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> only the best go there, right? Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Yeah, I have some friends in Albany as well. So you yep. said Cairo, it's like, yeah, it's spelled like Cairo, but it's pronounced like it's South Georgia, right? Yeah, <laughs> just a funny uh, antidote was uh, we were playing a, a t- high school football team from Atlanta called Marist when I yep. was in junior. And they came in and the cheerleaders from their school ha- held up a sign that had the pyramids on it. <laughs> we're all like, no, duh, that's not what we are. <laughs> right. We're, we're, we're the syrup makers, which is an unusual <laughs> football team name. So, but anyway, that was really your mascot. Yes. For years. Oh, I, I don't know if they still do, but we always won ESPN's most unusual uh, mascot name. And our actual mascot is a, um, a, a pitcher pouring syrup and mm-hmm. a, a mule pulling a cane grinder. So, Oh, that's too funny. I don't know how I didn't know that. That's a great little <laughs> trivia question for Georgia. <laughs> so in high school, I mean, you had aspirations to be a lawyer. Were there certain um, subjects that you liked or certain concepts that you kind of gravitated towards? Uh, it was LA Law. Okay. I love that, yeah. that show. <laughs> yeah. So I, I grew up very poor. And, you know, back, back then, you only knew two fields. Uh, career choices that you thought would make money. You'd either mm-hmm. be a doctor or a lawyer. And then, you know, LA law came on and um, there was a sexy world of beautiful people and lots of money and fancy mm-hmm. cars. And I thought, you know, that was the world for me living in this little tiny town. So uh, kind of Harry after- Hamlin and yeah. Corbin Burnson. Yep. Yeah. yeah I'm, trying to, as well. I'm trying to think of the, the guy, Jimmy Spitz. That's his there you too. go. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, uh, yeah. So I thought that was uh, a way to get out of the small town. So I, uh, I busted my behind and made sure I graduated uh, valedictorian um, academic, awesome. sco- academic scholarships. I uh, didn't attend my senior year of high school because 
I had, I went and petitioned, uh, or my mother did the board of education because I didn't feel like I needed to take home ec or sex education or um, PE. So I loaded up on extra math classes, two foreign languages. So I left for college um, my senior year um, and then came back and, and, and walked for them. So, so did you do the, your senior year in high school? Did you, is that where you went to Bainbridge part-time? Yeah. Yeah, okay. I did joint enrollment. I came and take one, I took one class. Yep, um, that's what my daughter did as well. It's a great, great program. Yeah, and then you came back and took the was it the AP test to clip to to you know pa- pass out. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. My daughter didn't actually have to. It was like um, she got full college credit for it, which yeah. is really great because it was. Yep. You know, it's a cheap way to get you know almost a year taken off of your college tuition bill. Yeah, and we were, you know, Cairo was is was didn't have a lot of the opportunities that a lot of kids have in schools uh, around in metro areas. So we only had one or two AP um, curriculums. Mm-hmm. So uh, you could, I think it was history or English. I can't remember. And but yeah, I was able to start college as a I almost halfway through my sophomore year. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you do any other activities? Were you involved in sports or oh. music or anything? <laughs> so um, I am a um, a classic, I guess, I don't know if nerds politically correct these days anymore, but I, I, I never saw the lunchroom or the um, outside. I always spent lunch in the library. Uh-huh. Um, I, I actually, you know, I was a cheerleader. Um, I was any club that I could get in, I was in debate, chess um student council there was all kind of like junior rotary club um mm-hmm. all kind of stuff and i know now it kind of sounds silly to say but i also did uh beauty pageants no it, <laughs> it's well so the reason why i say no is because you're the third person i've talked to has done that and it it prepares you're going to tell me this anyway but it prepares you so well for a lot of things you do in business right Exactly. Well, I did it because, you know, growing up with a single mom, you know, and she's like, if you're going to go to college, you got to figure out how to pay for it. So I looked at um, the scholarship monies and the th- prize money. And, um, you know, I, I actually I, I was a singer. So I did all the cor- choir and all that stuff. So I knew how to talent. But I tell you know, when I first started doing interviews out of college, it was because I had to do interviews and stand up on stage and defend mm-hmm. like, you know, a platform. Mine was not world peace, by the way, but, I, <laughs> <laughs> but it, it taught you, it taught me confidence and how composure and how to have conversations, which I think, you know, is critical. Now, like I said, it, it I'm sure they've said the same thing. It, it really was a really good foundation on how to carry myself and how to handle interviews. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, and I can tell just from the folks that I've talked to and you're included where you, you are polished and there's, there's a kind of a, just a, an era that, you, or, um, I don't know, it's a, the way that you carry yourself, I think is really polished and mm-hmm. you know, you there's not a lot of us and you knows and ums. I mean, it just, it's, it's, it's a great foundation, like I said earlier. And I, I never really thought about it that way. I was just like, oh, it's something you see on TV. And, you know, they got a swimsuit competition. You know, you joked about world peace and all that. But there's a lot that goes into it that if you're not involved in it, you don't realize. You kind of think like, 
the uh, the uh, the dance mom or some of the other ones that get involved in it, like, oh, you're living through your kids or whatever. But I've seen the results of it, and it's it's pretty impressive. And like you said too, the scholarship money is pretty amazing too. Yeah, I actually um, sought out some high end winners that had gone and won Miss Georgia. Asked them to be my coach. Oh, that's great. Because uh, to me, that was my first business I ever set up was to make money off of beauty pageants mm -hmm. and got, went out, hired me some coaches and it's like went to the ones that had the biggest, you know, prize money and mm -hmm. did all that stuff. So did you do that when you got into college as well? No, when I, I when I started college, I went through this like transition. Uh, I was a double major in political science and uh, philosophy, so I went through my Nietzsche phase, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so I I became a collegiate fencer. I dyed my hair jet black. I was raging against the machine. So anything <laughs> that was you know uh, popular or you know I was anti all that that for a while <laughs> trying to find where the boundaries were right <laughs> exactly how'd you get involved in fencing that's that's a certainly an unusual activity that you don't get a lot of training on how'd that come about they had it as a like yeah I think they had to take like three P's in college and that was one okay. of them and the fencing coach saw I had really good potential and I started just fencing with the college team and moved up rather quickly and started uh, competitively fencing. That's awesome. Yeah. And I, and I fenced saber, which is not a lot of women fence saber. So I had to go against really big guys. And uh, that was, <laughs> that was fun. <laughs> That's great. Did you have like Olympic aspirations at that point or, you know, I actually got, um, one of the Olympic coaches, because actually, I did, you know, Atlanta, especially in the Dunwoody area, has a lot of Olympic fencers mm -hmm. and some strong coaches. And one of them came down and suggested that I come, invited me to come train. Then when I got out of college, they moved the fencing thing to south of the airport. And it was just something I never followed up on. But it is on my um, bucket list because, you know, I, I think I could be in an age group. Yeah, I could, I could really be successful now. I just <laughs> just got to find a fencing coach, but they have them where I'm living now. But, you know, COVID, nobody's nobody's yeah. doing anything. Yeah, that's great. So um, you're at Georgia Southern, you said, right? Mm -hmm. And so what, what did you major in to start with? How did you decide on a major? So going to law school, I always thought it would be um, political science, but I actually did mm -hmm. really did love political science because to me it's the science of power and that was fascinating to me so i focused on the office of the presidency because ultimate power right like mm -hmm. how do you get there how do you you know move how do you lead how do you influence people and i thought it was just a fascinating and actually had real implications into what i wanted to do and then um i got into philosophy and I have a minor in the philosophy of science fiction, which actually works really well when you go into it. And it was just, it was just fascinating because I thought, Oh, I'm going to get out of, get out of school here. And with what I know with science fiction and, you know, we were studying it AI before there was AI back in the day mm -hmm. and how, 
scientific uh, findings are going to change the way the world thinks and how that's going to impact law. And so I thought that somehow I was going to do law with this science fiction thing. Now, you know, now there's fields within all that stuff, you know, AI and technology. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought that was that was what I was going to do. That's an interesting mixture, but I think it, it definitely gives you some of that theoretical and application side of things too, and, and the ability to adjust into moving technologies from today. So, mm-hmm. so you stayed uh, with PolySci your whole way through? All the way through, yeah. Did you, uh, did you do any sort of clerking or internships or anything with, um, with uh, local or state governments? I, you know, I went through the, um, you know, the, the Nietzsche got his dead phase, and then I started dating a guy that was in a fraternity. So it's, I went back to being dark-haired Angela to blonde-haired Angela, and then I got <laughs> <laughs> that I uh, was, I did a lot with the Young Republicans Club, uh, but I, and never really clerked. Mm. Um with anybody, but I actually, uh, after taking the LSAT, came here to go to Emory Law School, and I had nine months to kill because you can't, you know, in law school you don't just start mid semester; you have to start with a class. So I had right. nine months to kill, um, and then that's where I discovered IT. Interesting. So that was so you graduate. Um, did you move to Atlanta, or where was where were you uh, thinking of? I've got you. You'd already figured you were going to go to law school at Emory, so you were coming to Atlanta anyway, right? Yeah. yeah. So I, you know, I did graduate top of my class at Georgia Southern. That's got, fantastic. Got some opportunities to come back and keep my master's on some scholarships, but just attracted to to coming to Emory is where I wanted to go to law school, and moved up into Atlanta and had some conversations some with some very big attorneys. And they were telling me about their life and all the debt I was going to have and how much I was going to make. And um, then I got an opportunity while, you know, just I did some research for a, da- a construction data company and then hated it, had some conversation with some family members. And I had a, uh, a great uncle that was a very successful businessman. And he said to me, Angela, if you can sell, you'll always eat. And then uh, tracked down an opportunity to get into sales in technology. Mm-hmm. I, thought, I thought, well, I'll just do this for the nine months and found it absolutely fascinating. Just the technology. And here's things I had read in books. You know, these were theories back in college. Now people were doing it. You know, yeah. here, you know, we were talking about nanotechnology and we have nanotechnology and the very beginnings of machine learning and all this stuff that it just absolutely fascinated me because I got to talk to smart people all day and I just fell in love with it and got really, really, really good at it. So let me ask you this, because I know this was always every time I would shift my career, my parents would just shake my head and go, what are you doing? You know, was that a tough conversation with your family when you were talking (laughs) about I'm leaving law school and my dreams as a child are going to be shifting out of this IT world? (laughs) Well, you know, and I'll go back because I think maybe some of your listeners, you know, I don't know how many are listening that 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 are coming from small towns and where I grew up, you know, college was important for my mother. She was, she was a college grad, but the biggest goal for coming back is to get married and have kids. And Mm. it was really your success was determined on who you married. 
And I still see this with, a, and this frustrates me because I do mentoring with women and a lot of things that they say to their, you know, talking about their family, it's not their career choices is that, oh, they're going to put off marriage or they're going to put off kids or, you know, they're not looking to, to marry a CEO. They want to be the CEO. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that my family was more shocked that I was so career driven and I wasn't looking for a man or a partner to define my success. I was going to find it on my own. Um, That's a great message, honestly, for whether you're uh, in a rural environment or an urban environment. That's, that's a great message. I would tell both my daughters that. Yeah. You know, yeah. And I also, I got married right out of college, way, 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 way too young. I don't recommend that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you change a lot, don't you, between no. 20 and 30? <laughs> oh, my God. It really, I mean, that's the thing. You know, I, I remarried and, and married the person that I was supposed to be with. But uh, it is. You, you're, the 20-year-old Angela is not 30-year-old Angela. And 40-year-old Angela is definitely not 30-year-old Angela. But you, do, you mm-hmm. do change. And unfortunately, sometimes you, you outgrow each other, outpace each other. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I didn't mean to make light of that. That's that's. Yeah. Uh, Tough life lessons, but yeah, it's, um, I'm glad you've, you've found the right one and it's yeah. kind of, you know, things all worked out the way they're meant to, right? Absolutely. That's great. So going to the IT world, tell me about uh, what your first job looked like. You said you went into sales. Were you selling certain hardware or software? What'd that look like? So uh, when I went into sales, it was uh, in staffing and uh, within it, my first job was not IT staffing, but I knew, I knew I wanted to go into IT staffing. So uh, I got an opportunity, you know, I went out and marketed myself to some of the biggest firms in Atlanta and uh, got a job. And so I was uh, selling IT staffing. There was no training there. I didn't know they didn't teach me sales. They, you know, threw me uh, in with the accounting department and you know, told me to figure it out on my own. And this was before, you know, had Wikipedia or Google. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You had, <laughs> so I had to, to learn it on my own, which was, which was the, a cool way. Cause it, you know, you, you had to be creative. So I just started calling really smart people who had really good resumes and talking to them about technology and um, learning it that way. And that was kind of, kind of how I, how I learned. And I, and I basically taught myself sales. So, yeah, I mean, you're like sales in general, you know, uh, uh, the stereotypical salesperson, right? It's by numbers, you know, you just get mm-hmm. pound the pavement, work the phones and all that. Yeah. And you probably being the anti salesperson, maybe took a different approach that actually maybe resonated a little better about building relationships first, right? Exactly. And I think because I had a genuine interest in learning, uh, I set meetings and, and didn't understand that I was networking by going out and talking to people and finding out what they did for a living. Mm-hmm. I built, was building networks before I knew what I was doing. Um, and so I had a lot of people that, you know, would refer me. So I didn't have to pound the, the, the phones as hard, but I still, you know, moving up in my career when I, teach salespeople, there is a certain, you have to have a certain DNA. And, and if you can't walk in a room by yourself with a bunch of people and be at home, then sales is not the job for you. Mm-hmm. And are I there feel- certain, are there certain characteristics that you can identify with 
uh, with younger people or people you've mentored? That's yeah. okay. Yeah. Tell me about that. So <laughs> interestingly enough, the, it, the people that I find that are, have been most successful in sales are kids. I guess I'm, I can't say kids that young adults <laughs> <laughs> who, who were, didn't grow up wealthy. They're hungry, right? Their parents don't pay, you know, don't pay for their cell phones. You know, it's one of those things where they, they have, if they want something, they have to earn it, you know, and, and this, I've seen a couple of kids that did grow up in wealthy uh, homes, but you know, one of my, one of my favorite lines, one of, one of the young g- gentlemen told me, he's like, my dad told me one time, son, you see all this? I'm rich. You're not <laughs> <laughs> good luck, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's, it's, you know, they didn't get a BMW for graduation from high school. They didn't get, you know, dollar bills for every time they did something good. And, and, and they, they're hungry and yeah. they just, you know, I'm not saying that the money, having money or not having money denotes a work ethic, mm-hmm. but I saw that in them. That's interesting. Yeah. It's definitely resonates for sure. Mm-hmm. And, and then usually someone that did, Anything competitive, uh, you know, sports, you mm-hmm. know, whatever they did, or they were in some club, or was highly engaged, seemed to do better because they they were more comfortable in in crowds and going to networking things and just had a little bit more confidence. Yeah, and I think too, you if you're in whether it's sports or it's debate club or pageants, you know, you're going to deal with loss Mm -hmm. and you're going to have to figure out how to fix your weaknesses or understand more about your opponent or be willing to work through some of those down times, Mm -hmm. you know, to get better. And I think Mm -hmm. the more you can sort of repeat that um, when you get into the business world and you get into, especially sales is really tough because you're not going to win every, every deal you come across. Right. So Mm -hmm. you have to figure out this, you know, okay, well, that was, not a good one, but let's let's figure out what, what went wrong and how do we fix it for the next one, right? Yeah, and then you know, being in IT and technical sales, everything's changing, right? I mean, you and someone that's likes to learn, that's always learning. That's always when a question I would always ask in interviews. It's like, what do you do to keep your skills up? You know, how would mm-hmm. you learn about technology if I didn't teach you? You know, people that had creative creative answers because, as you know, you. It, it, it changes. You know, I remember my first, t- the first class I learned, you know, we're talking about terms and terminology was, you know, a couple, it was assembler and COBOL. I mean, you know, client server was, you know, up and coming, you know, it was AS400. So you didn't have that a lot to learn, mm-hmm. on, but now it's so crazy. And you, I mean, with all this open source and all this, I mean, you, you constantly have to be learning and be, to be able to talk to someone that might be interested in your services and have an intelligent conversation. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. You, you're never at the, at the, the pinnacle of, of learning, right? Cause even mm-hmm. if you've technically, you know, if you've conceptually learned everything, you know, things shift around, you know, yes. we're talking about AI and ML and some of the predictive mm-hmm. analytics and all that. I mean, that's, you know, first it was just collecting the data. Now what do you yeah. do with it? You're sitting on the amount of it now. So yeah, it's, yep. that's pretty amazing. So, um, so sales was going pretty good, but you were kind of had a, a little more interest in the recruiting side. Well, you know, I never, I did some recruiting. I was primarily in the sales side of things and then, you know, worked my way up, 
director of sales, manager of sales, you know, VP of sales, VP of client services. And then, then I started running um, a, a large, um, well, it wasn't large at the time. They hired me to come over and build out their technical staffing division and then work my way up to uh, a senior VP in that role um, where I oversaw recruiting um, and sales as well, but all in technology. But during that, they, I, in 1998 was when I started getting introduced. At the, at the time, it was information security. Now it's cybersecurity. Mm-hmm. But remember the, the old X-Force um, ISS days, I got in on the ground floor of helping recruit for them. And that's where my, my love for cybersecurity came in. So that's, yeah, (laughs) that was the cool, that was the, that was the sci-fi world. That was like, I felt like I was, you know, James Bond, you know, (laughs) it's the secret war going on that, you know, nobody knows about and Mm -hmm. only the, only the smart people, you know, we're, you know, we're secretly saving the world and no one knows it kind of thing. (laughs) So that was just, you know, dare I say, sexy technology and, uh, had been, you know, recruiting for that, doing talent um, enablement in that space. And, and then that's how I kind of followed my love for cybersecurity. And when I had an opportunity to actually leave the staffing world and get in more product consulting, it, it was just a natural fit. That's great. I know that is such a huge growth area right now with cybersecurity. And, you know, we just went through an election and I remember, you know, four years ago and you know, even 10 years ago, there was always these, you know, the, the, the battle between, you know, good and evil, right? And, you know, you have like your firewalls and certain, you know, protections in place. And then there's, oh, there's some other new way around that. So tell me a little bit about um, some of the the work that you got involved in with your 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 pivot into cybersecurity. <laughs> so I had an opportunity. Uh, I met with a business partner and I met with a company out of Finland and they do what's called cyber threat intelligence, um, early warning systems, and they wanted to take their product to the U.S., and we had the opportunity to do that, so that's how uh, Silver Hammer Systems was formed. So this last year has been cool for me because I'm doing product development, uh, testing, beta runs, uh, survey, just and building helping build that launch for the U.S. and really getting, you know, a hands-on understanding of, of the technology around cybersecurity because it's, it's, it's so interesting from, you know, you know, because it's not just, it's not just computers, it's social engineering, it's your perimeter security. Now you got the, the world of IoT and, uh, and you've got so many people trying to do bad things and it's not, the market right now where people want to go and target companies is small to midsize. And unfortunately the small to midsize, you know, you're, you're tend to, you know, I guess you would call these micro businesses have no idea that they're huge targets. Mm-hmm. That's, that's actually a really good point. Cause you always think you always hear about the breaches at the large companies, right? Mm-hmm. And the small ones are probably not set up to either monitor or prevent some of the things that are pretty basic from a, from a hacker's perspective, right? Yeah. Yeah. I actually got to watch a, uh, a title company 
teeny tiny little title company. And so what they'll do is these the the researchers on the dark web that want to hack into them will look at your website and say, oh, you know, Bob and Don's title company. Oh, they're a they're a ten million dollar little company, and they go after them. And mm. Bob and Don have no idea. Now all their data is you know they got to pay. Five, you know, you need to pay us $10 million to get that data back. And, you know, I got to watch a negotiation on the dark web and it's just, it's just, it's just crazy. And some of these companies that don't have the opportunity to have services like, like mine, they close. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's unfortunate, but I think that's becoming more and more the world we're living in, right? It, it, yeah. And especially with everybody working from home it's it's crazy you know i'm fortunate enough because i'm in this field but i see the stuff that you know the easiest way to get in is from phishing right so they send you those emails mm -hmm. um you know i i i've stopped falling for my african prince i'm not going to bail him out <laughs> but but i do great get, opportunity come on i know i know but i do get a ton of emails from lawyers saying, here's the document I need you to sign, or here's this, you know, you've got a fax that just got sent to you. And I'm like, mm -hmm. no, I didn't. <laughs> you know, but I, know, I talk to people all day that are like, oh, I got that open. I was like, oh my God, don't open that. Yeah. If you, you did not request anything or know anybody, delete it. If it's really that important, they will find you and call you. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Do yeah. not. Uns unsolicited anything, and, and especially if there's an urgency tied to it, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, but that's, you know, that's how they're getting into in it's fishing right now. It's uneducated employees that are, that are doing it, you know? Yeah. So tell me a little bit about, um, you've been doing the, um, kind of the, the product development and, and kind of helping this, this launch. Are you still working through that now? Has it been launched? Tell me a little bit about, um, how that's progressed. So it's, it, I'm going to, we're going to launch, um, the first of next year. Uh, just with everything that's going on. I mean, you know, it's 2020, right? And, mm -hmm. you know, with COVID and then the elections and you've got all the stuff going on um, and being new to entrepreneurship, I kind of got all, ex you know, I got all excited before I, I did all the front, <laughs> the stuff that I should have. Yeah. So I've got, I had to slow my roll a little bit. <laughs> well, smart, and smart for you to do that though. Well, it was one of those things where, you know, I was so excited and, and here, this is goes to everybody. And, and it was something that I had to learn. Entrepreneurship, you will make mistakes. You will make mistakes in your career. You know, at the time when you're young, you think, oh my gosh, you know, this is horrible. I'm so embarrassed. But looking back, it's like, those are the times you really learn. I know that sounds like so cliche, but you know, Paul, you can attest. It's like the greatest things I probably learned were from the things I screwed up on. Completely. And yeah. so, you know, going, having the opportunity to be an entrepreneur, my husband was like, you have never worked like you're going to work. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I got, I got this. And, you know, <laughs> he's, he's like, he always, he always calls me. He's like, you know, you're a corporate player. And I was like, oh, don't call me that. He's like, you'll see what I mean. And he's like, no one's telling you what to do. The board is not asking for the report this week, Angelo. You know, it's like, wow, well, yeah, yeah. I'm just going to take the day off. <laughs> and he's uh, like, it's, it's a different mindset. So it's not only has it been a journey and in, in transitioning industry, it's just, it's a journey myself to go into that. You know, if you, I'm going to, it's, it's working your tail off 
And, you know, we had talked a little earlier before the call about being a female. You know, I've always been one of the few females in technology. It's good to see that now there's a lot more girls going into it. There's STEM and mm -hmm. all this stuff. But, you know, being that, you know, you're you coming in feeling like you're, you know, the only only female, you you have to like you have to work hard enough more. You have to know more. So I was going to ask you about that, because, I mean, you're in a very male dominated field. Mm -hmm. um, what are some things that you've done to sort of, um, I guess, you know, distinguish yourself or, you know, show that you belong there and that you can excel there and that you're equals and partners with everybody? Are there certain um, just tactics you've done or situations that have helped you or tell me a little bit about that? So this is this. I was very fortunate. Um, you know, I was raised by a single mother who basically told me if you ever think being a girl is something that's going to hold your back you're wrong don't ever think that so i you know i i and I, I had two older brothers you know that raised me like a tomboy so when i got in the workforce i never thought of myself as going to be treated any differently it wasn't till i got older when I started hearing other women talk about, oh, well, they're not going to let you do that because you're, you know, you're a female. They're not going to let mm -hmm. this, you know, and it wasn't probably when I was till I was like 26 that I realized, oh my gosh, I'm a, I'm a female in business. This is, I might, you know, this, these things might be happening to me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> mm -hmm. But, you know, when I, and I talk and I'm into mentor young girls, I, I'm like, you, you have to, present yourself differently and if you want to be treated like an equal walk in the room and fake that confidence don't you know the you know number you know just you think your numbers will speak for yourself they won't you have to speak for yourselves mm -hmm. uh, men are very good men are comfortable being with other men you have to you know learn to play golf you have to insert yourself and the most important thing that, and I, I know this may be a little controversial, is I tell women, do not ever use your sexuality to promote yourself. I know that that may be a cute little dress and you may think that looks good on your little figure. You do not dress like you're going to the club at work. You yeah. be professional. And, you know, I, I got a lot of headbutting with with some people you know i'm like that's not how i mean if you want to be professional and be treated like an equal then you have to carry yourself above reproach mm -hmm. and i know that's you know people it might not be a popular statement now and you know people always ask me about hashtag me too and angela did you ever and i said i never gave anyone the opportunity to even have the confidence to think they could come close with anything like that yeah. and and i think that's a lot i teach a lot of young women it's like don't put yourself in situations don't dress don't use your sexuality to stand out use your brain yeah you know and if that and if you can't and that's all you got then i feel sorry for you yeah and i think people will see through that too i think once you sort of open up that gate um mm -hmm. it's hard to sort of then turn things back to professional. And, and I know that there's lots of, you know, there's perception sometimes becomes reality and mm -hmm. you have to sort of be aware of that. And mm -hmm. I think different, different rooms operate differently, but yes. I think to your point, if you, if you have your standards at a certain 
professional level, mm -hmm. then don't waver from that. And that's what people will expect and treat you with. So, yeah. yeah. It's a, I've, you know, I've had some girls coming at me and, you know, and say, well, I went to this event and the other sales, you know, girls were dressed like this and behaving like this. And I was like, but don't, if that, if that customer wants that, then you don't need them. You will get a customer that respects your intelligence and your capabilities, mm -hmm. but, but, but don't do that, you know? Yeah. And I think that as more, as they're more, as there is more diversity in leadership, I think you'll see, I'm hoping less and less of that. I've got two daughters and I would, I would really feel bad if that was their, their mindset to either, you know, growing their career or getting a sale or mm -hmm. being, you know, leveraging their physical appearance. Yeah. You get promoted in some way. Yeah. No, I think there's a lot, a lot of changing uh, with that. But the, some of the girls I've mentored, you know, I'm like, learn golf. You know, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, you know, be interesting and use your brain. And when you solve problems and I'm seeing, you know, a, a lot of changing for the better in that place. But like I said, you know, I, I never saw a lot of the stuff that I hear a lot of other girls talking about. And I, I you know, I think it's because I learned at an early age mm -hmm. to, car to carry myself and stay and, and stay that way my whole career. That's great. That's great. And I think as the workforce becomes more and more diverse and more global, mm -hmm. even some of the things that guys would lean on, right? Mm -hmm. I, my first job out of college was at Delta and everything mm -hmm. was around college football. Yeah. And, you know, so you're, you're defined by what school you went to. And oh, then exactly. there was a lot of trash talking from September till, you know, January. <laughs> and then it was the recruiting war and then there was basketball and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Right. And so that became like an easy conversation tool yeah. to break the ice or connect with people. Mm -hmm. But now, I mean, I work with teams that they don't know anything about college football or yeah. baseball or NFL and mm -hmm. football is, you know, played with a round, you know, black and white ball that you kick with, you know? Yeah. So I think it's, I think we're all sort of trying to figure out sort of what are those connecting points? And it always comes back to the work, the technology, you know, yeah. being professional um, and really kind of opening up to learning. You know, I've, yeah. I've tried to learn more about some of the other sports that I really didn't learn much about or mm -hmm. other things that people are involved in that aren't yeah. necessarily even sports related, you know, so exactly yeah. and you know and it i one of the i've got learned later in life is you know as you talked about the work the workforce changing and we're becoming more global is i probably didn't i didn't start traveling abroad until about ugh, six or seven years ago mm -hmm. and uh, you know travel is one of my passions and you know i've been fortunate in those that short time frame to travel a lot of the world and that's been a real big education so i always you know if i talk to younger people it's like if you get the opportunity to go abroad or go so a mother country please go because this yeah. is such a such a global world you, you know you're you're if you forget that the world's it's you know it's bigger than atlanta mm -hmm. and go go talk go talk to people that have completely different backgrounds and came from different worlds and have really meaningful conversations. Because at the end of the day, I, you know, I've been to a lot of communist countries and just talking to those people at the end of the day, everybody just wants to be happy mm -hmm. and they want to take care of their family. Mm -hmm. And it's such a, such a, you know, humbling conversation. And it really has helped me in business as well. Cause you know, right now my company's funded by people from Finland. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. What do you think are some, like, what lessons did you come back to the U.S. with? Because I know I've, I've had a similar experience, right? I didn't grow up traveling. I didn't mm -hmm. think I even wanted to leave the States because, I mean, right. 
you know, there's no ESPN in Europe and, you know, right. like there's weird food and all that. And I just didn't really grow up with that, mm-hmm. that hunger. But I, once I got to, you know, meet other people and exactly what you described. So tell me about coming back to the U.S. with some of those experiences and how that's changed you. You know, it's, I just feel that sometimes going there and, and, you know, actually seeing what they think of Americans is, mm-hmm. was eye opening, <laughs> you yeah. know, and I think I actually taught them some things too about us is that, you know, this, this image of who we are is not true, but just, just coming back and just realizing people are people. Yeah. You know, it's like I just because they're from here or there, I got to, you know, of course, there's some cultural nuances you need to learn. But it, the biggest lesson was just people are people. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, they laugh, you know, it, they cry and it we're all common that way. Yeah. Connected. And uh, that was, you know, because for some reason I had, you know, oh, people from, you know, Europe or, you know, they're much smarter, more polished, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know what I, I was, I was thinking. And it's just the, the end of the day, it was just like, oh my God, they're just like me. That's exactly right. You know, my first trip abroad was, um, well, I'd like for work anyway, mm-hmm. was to Asia, um, mm-hmm. took a trip to Seoul, Korea for mm-hmm. Samsung did an Olympic sponsorship. There was a signing deal there. And, um, working with some folks in Japan when the Nagano games were going on in 98. So we were kind of, we were assigned a, an interpreter from Dentsu and they mm-hmm. kind of helped us navigate the city and all that. So I learned a lot about Japanese culture. And, you know, once you peel back, you know, the, the geographical and the political and the religious layers, they're just like us, right. You know, mm-hmm. talking to a father who's had, you know, Tina, I was talking about this on another podcast, mm-hmm. you know, and they have the same challenges that we do. Like you said, you just want to be, be able to, you know, make a living, take care of your family, have a little bit of fun, you know, and yeah. there's this perception. I'm like, I'm going to Japan. Like they, they bomb Pearl Harbor, you know I mean? Yeah. Just all these little <laughs> labels you throw on things, you know, and, and it's everyone's, and I've been all over the world as well. And, you mm-hmm. know, once you peel back those layers and you get to meet people one-on-one, you take the labels off and it's now it's John or Joe or, you know, um, um, Siri or whoever it is, right? There's just, um, yeah, you, you get that personal connection and then you can really bond and learn over, you know, different food and um, different stories. And yeah, it's great. Yeah, I, I have to, a, a quick sign note, and, and this is this is admitting I, I, a bad habit I used to have. So I put this out there, do not ever start smoking. I picked up, <laughs> I started smoking, long story, late in life. But anyway, I don't, I don't smoke cigarettes now, bad habit. So, but we were in Vietnam and we were on a junk uh, out in the middle of Halong Bay. And so they stopped and they let some of the um, officers from the Communist Party, from the army to come in because they had, you know, people from the, well, we were the only people from the U.S., but, you know, people coming in and they wanted to check passports. So they would oversee the junk and make sure that there weren't any appropriate conversations. And we weren't trying to pull anybody to, you know, leave the country. And... I, they were hanging out and I, I ran out of cigarettes and my husband, I was like, I'm going to go talk to these guys over here. They, they're smoking. And my husband's like, do not go talk to those are like captains in the communist army. Don't go do it. <laughs> so I went over there and I was Did like, you? I, I bummed some cigarettes and they became my buddies. And well, I don't know a single thing we were saying to each other, but we laughed. And every time they saw me, they bought me a beer and gave me cigarettes. So, but at the end, <laughs> end of the day, I was, I was like, I cannot believe you did it with the these officials and i was like 
at the end of the day, what did I tell you? Smokers are the nicest people. And yeah, everybody are, it's just, it was just, that was the coolest moment. We had a long conversation. Don't know what we said, but we laughed and laughed and laughed. So that is too funny. <laughs> well, it's, it is like a tight little community, regardless of, um, you know, the country you're in. Right. It's yeah. so funny. There was some comedian did something about, you know, just imagine like it's it's not a problem for one smoker to ask another one for a cigarette or a right. light, you know, it's like they're cordial people. Right. But can you imagine doing that with anything else in life? Like no one would do that. Right. You know, yeah. it's like, you walk into like a Wendy's like, hey, can I have a French fry from you? Like, <laughs> it's it's a, the unwritten rule. But yeah, but, but not promoting smoking. I smoked for a short time. Don't smoke anymore. <laughs> keep, keep the generosity, lose the cigarettes. Right? Exactly. Exactly. There you so. go. Too funny. Well, so tell me what you like most about your job. It's, it sounds really fascinating. Um, be curious to hear like what you like most about it. And then we'll talk maybe a little bit about, you know, how can young people get involved in that type of an industry? So I, what I really love most about my job right now is, is being the entrepreneur owning the company that's and being able, cause I built so many divisions and I made so many other people really, really wealthy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. off of, off now, now it's your time, right? Yeah. So I like that, you know, knowing that I'm creating things now and I'm the processes that I'm building I, that, that, are, that are of me and they're going to, you know, build me. And that's why to me, it makes America the greatest country in the world because you, you, you can be whoever you really want to be. If you just, mm -hmm. you just work for it. Um, yeah. And I like that because it's some of the cutting edge stuff that's coming out, just learning about the next wave of infiltration. Just, you know, like I said, it's my James Bond world. Mm -hmm. That's, that's, you know, you know what I feel like, like, you know, it's, it's, that's, what's cool to me. It's everything in my sci-fi books that grow up, you know, I still read, um, and it's this this war. I get to be a soldier every day, and that that is just what excites me um, and pumps me up. Is talking about you know even before the you know I work with a group that does does election security, and then just talking about what they were gearing up for, and mm -hmm. you know, and what things that I know that you know the, most people don't know, and would terrify a lot of people but that's what that's what's that is what's so cool is yeah it's like the ultimate nerd fantasy for me that's that's great i mean it's it's pretty rare that you can blend your your hobbies and your passion and then tie that into not only a job but just a profession that you love and you mm -hmm. probably get up in the morning excited about going to work and that's like utopia right yeah. for doesn't feel like work at that point does it no no and like i said from you know someone that's always adored sci-fi as a little girl uh it really is it's it, it is the ultimate sci-fi fantasy to talk about some of this stuff do you have some favorite sci-fi authors that you uh that you uh, recommend of course ray bradbury um and I, I consider you know, my favorite author of all time, Kurt Vonnegut. He, you know, um, Cat's Cradle, um, Slaughterhouse Five. They, they all have a uh, throwback to sci-fi. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm going to butcher, so I won't even say his name, but Star Diaries, which is uh, written by a famous Russian um, sci-fi um, author, is you know one of the one of the bases that everybody needs to read. Okay. Um, 
as well. But, you know, those are, but, you know, then I got into sci-fi horror, you know, <laughs> it, it always, you know, it always fascinated me is, you know, up is good in sci-fi, right? Anything up is good. You go up, they're smarter. They're more elevated. Mm. They're, you know, tent and most before sci-fi hard, they're, they're smarter, they're kinder people, but anything down is bad, down is hell. <laughs> so, um, that always, I never thought that, about that. That always fascinated me, that concept that, you know, you, you elevate yourself by going up. The technology mm -hmm. is going to be better when you, um, elevate your, your, yourself. Um, but I always, you know, tell people, if you can read every Kurt Vonnegut book, there's actually Dead Eye Dick. He talks about Atlanta before, like the the, the suburban, you know, Joneses is referenced back in I think like 1980. Um, but yeah, those are. I get passionate when I talk about Kurt Vonnegut. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to check it out. I've not been a huge uh, sci-fi fan. I mean. <laughs> Like, you know, science fiction movies was all over that. But the books and the reading and stuff. Yeah, I um, I was slow in the uptake. My sister was much more involved in reading than I was. Mm -hmm. so check some of those out. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. That's so funny. So what would, what would what recommendations would you give to somebody either in high school or college that um, that would be interested in cybersecurity? Well, know that you cybersecurity doesn't necessarily have to be a, a path where you are a coder. Or, uh, you know, you have to learn to hack or you even have to know hardware. Um, so much around cybersecurity has to do with, you know, policies and uh, how you set some things up and frameworks where you don't necessarily have to be the one that turned the switches, but mm -hmm. you can be part of the functional architecture team. So don't be afraid to explore uh, cybersecurity, even if you're, if you're not, you know, a coder. There's ways to look at, you know, even even when you if like criminal justice majors, there's cybersecurity crime divisions. There's other ways to get in the field without, you know, being into math or, you know, doing computer programming. Uh, of course, that, you know, that is a, de a definitely way to get in it and, you know, learn that way. Uh, but mm -hmm. there's other, you just don't, you know, don't be afraid of there's other opportunities to get into the field with, like I said, without actually having to code or, you know, be an engineer. Yeah, that's great. Are there certain uh, like personality or characteristic traits that you think people, people with certain, certain traits or skills or strengths do better in? Well, you know, there's always the business side of any, any technology, right? This has got to be sold. Someone has to talk to the CAO, CFO, and, you know, and a lot of time the, the CTO and CISO are, didn't come from technical background. So there's always that, that functional business side that's so important mm -hmm. when you're dealing with technology to be able to talk to, you know, to normal people about what's going on. Um, I think if, if, if you just have, to me, it's like, it's like playing chess and I, I, I grew up playing chess. And if you, you know, if you, you know, and what was the movie that, oh gosh, that, uh, uh, the Mathry Boderick, the game, you know, war games. Oh, war games, right? yeah. Okay, that was a definitive moment <laughs> in, yeah. my life, in my life, right? Yeah. see that. But if, you know, if you like playing games and things like that and have a passion for things like that, I think that just lends nest, you know, into cybersecurity because it really is little war moves. Mm-hmm. 
it is it's it is securing you know your network you know your company your personal space it's so i think if you like things like that mm -hmm. it'll be fun good to know so if you're a chess player um queen's gambit if you've not seen it it's pretty good yeah i just started watching it and yeah. i'm really disappointed it's not a true story <laughs> i was like it's not a true story oh my god this is yeah. awesome so, <laughs> but yeah but i think if you like things like that um because you always got to think ahead yeah no that's really good because i think it's you're really you're really looking at brains that are tactical and thinking about other sides of things and, and you're right you don't have to be just a straight-up coder to go in there's so many other aspects of it and even mm -hmm. you know probably psychology majors might you know yeah have some insight to human psyche and we we're talking earlier about fishing and some of the you know the social hacking that would go on i mean there's a lot of things that go into that so mm -hmm. yeah, yeah like you know i'm a political science major and I'm in it. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Cause I, I think that's becoming less and less um, defining with mm -hmm. your major, right? Mm -hmm. It's more about, you know, you've been through the recruiting space too, you know, it's not necessarily what you majored in in college, but you know, what have you done and how can you help us to get better? You know? Yeah. I, and being in that recruiting space, I've, I've watched people that have come from a tech school background mm -hmm. when jobs over MIT grads, and it really comes down to competence, your ability to communicate, mm -hmm. and your ability to connect. And that's sometimes people that are extremely technical lose that ability. And, you know, I've watched interviews where I know that, that this person does not know half the stuff that, that this other person knows. But because they can connect, mm -hmm. they haven't, you know, they can have a conversation and not come across as too smart, um, get jobs over people that were probably more qualified. But, you know, it's just it's just having that capability, no matter what you do, will, will help you in your career a lot faster than anything is what I've seen. Yeah, no, that's great. Those three C's are the real differentiators. Mm -hmm. That's great. Mm -hmm. All right. So last question for you. If you could go back in time, what advice would you give yourself? Oh my gosh. Okay. So there's some things on here that probably I couldn't say because it might be offensive. So let me, let me keep it clean. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I probably would have not been scared and I would have looked for jobs overseas when I got out of school. Yeah. I would have, you know, small town terrified. I probably would have, should have gone overseas and, you know, even if it was working retail, gone, going overseas. Yeah. In the world. That's great advice. And I think like what you were saying earlier, you know, I mean, you, you don't even have to be in the right frame of mind, but once you're there and you're immersed in it, mm -hmm. you, things enlighten. And mm -hmm. you really understand a little bit more about how this world operates and, and even seeing the U S from, you know, across the seas and, you know, seeing how our perception is and, and what our impact is, you know, whether it's economically, militarily, or even just fashion and music, you know, mm -hmm. the entertainment influence, it's pretty amazing. So, yeah. Yeah. And, I'll, yeah, and, also, and another thing I should have done is they were given away degrees and I, and, um, IT when I was in college mm -hmm. 
and I should have, I should have, should have taken that too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think SAP was a class they were taking and they're like, ah, come do this. Cause you're doing statistics. And I was like, ah, I don't even know what that is. Yeah. Probably, probably should, probably should have done some of that. Well, it's, it's all worked out really well for you, Angela. So uh, I think you're, uh, you're doing great things. Um, yeah. Admire you as a leader, oh, um, thank as, you. as a friend, and, and what you've accomplished. So, thank, thank you. And if I could just say one one thing is to no matter where in your life, start have a good sense of humor. Learn to laugh. Yes. And that will that will t- has taken me further than anything. And and dealing with life and struggles and challenges is is learn to laugh. And that's what's taken me and made friends all over the world. Yeah, well, I, I'm right there with you on the sense of humor side. You can't take yourself too seriously. No. Life's too short. Yeah. And not everything is such a serious nature and so important that you can't laugh about things. Exactly. Yeah, love it. All right, Angela, listen, I've taken a bit of your time. Thank you so much for your time today. This was really a lot of fun. I appreciate uh, you sharing your story. Absolutely. Thank you so much. I appreciate it as well. <laughs>